and your incomparably great power living within us. That is the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Who gets to inherit Abraham's blessing? That's the key question in our passage tonight. Who gets to inherit Abraham's blessing? Now, it may not be something you even care about. It, it might seem like an irrelevant question to you. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, Abraham might just be the mysterious character in Sunday school songs. Somebody sing it with me. Had many sons, and many sons had father Abraham, and I'm one of them, and so were you. So let's just praise the Lord right on Father Abraham. Right. Right. So that song was fun for me as a kid to sing, but also goofy at the same time. I had no idea who this Abraham guy was. Uh, and so um, maybe you're like me, maybe you have no idea who Abraham is, maybe you didn't grow up in church, and you're, and you're like, who in the world is Abraham, and why should I care about his blessing? Well, whether you realize it or not, Abraham's blessing is kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. You see, the world's three great monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all trace their start to God's promise of blessing to Abraham. All three of them do. So, more than half of the world's population, over three billion people, have a vested interest in this issue. Or at least they ought to if they rightly understand their own faith tradition. Now, our text tonight shows us four things about Abraham's blessing. Where the blessing is found, what the blessing does, who gets the blessing, and what the blessing is. Where the blessing is found, what the blessing does, who gets the blessing, and what the blessing is. Now, before we dive into the text, let me give you just a quick 30,000 foot view of who Abraham is, if you don't know. Okay, so Abraham was not some holy, super righteous, church-going fella. All right, Abraham, actually, he was actually called Abram before God renamed him Abraham. Abram was a pagan, and he worshiped pagan gods in pagan temples. And in Genesis 12, out of nowhere, God comes along and says, you, Abraham, I choose you. Just out of nowhere, God chooses Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I am going to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Your children will outnumber the stars. So that the whole world will be blessed through you. The whole world. All nations blessed through you. 
So let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Galatians 3, 6 through 9. And if you didn't know, that is where the nation of Israel began with Father Abraham. So we're going to look and see what Paul has to say about Abraham tonight in Galatians 3, 6 through 9. Verse 6, so also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for gathering us here tonight under the banner of your love and your word. We pray that your word would speak directly to our hearts tonight. Give us your spirit so that your word may fall on good ground. And so that tonight wouldn't be just a box-checking exercise, but it would be an act of worship that changes us from the inside out. We pray these things, Father, in your Son's name. Amen. Okay, so number one, where the blessing is found. Verse 8. Verse 8. Paul says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the, justify the Gentiles by faith. Okay, so according to Paul, the blessing is found in the Hebrew Scriptures. The Hebrew Scriptures. So that means Islam is out. Islam is out. The blessing is not found in the Quran. So at this point, Christians and Jews are still in the game. We're still in the game, baby. Now, notice how Paul talks about Scripture in verse 8. It's kind of interesting. He says, Scripture foresaw. Do you see that? Now, how can words on a page foresee anything? How can words on a page foresee anything? Well, it only makes sense to me if the author of the words is God. If the author of the words is God. So, Scripture is not just words about God, but words from God. When you read the words in this book, it is no different than when God first appeared to Abram and spoke audibly to him. These are God's words, and you can take these words to the bank. What's also interesting is that here Paul is saying that all of Scripture saw the blessing of Abraham playing out, right? So it's not just parts of Scripture, all of Scripture. It just says, Scripture foresaw, which implies all of it foresaw the blessing of Abraham playing out. Essentially, God's promise to Abraham is what the entire Bible is about. It drives the entire narrative. I told you Abraham's blessing is pretty important. Okay, so that's where the blessing is found. Uh, point number two, what the blessing does. What the blessing does. So what is the blessing of Abraham designed to do? What is its purpose? 
Probably the simplest way to say it is this. Abraham's blessing is God's solution to the entire world's problems. Abraham's blessing is God's solution to the entire world's problems. Verse 8, all nations will be blessed through you. Okay, but what are the world's problems? What are the world's problems? According to the Bible, all the world's problems begin inside each of us. Inside each of us with evil and rebellion inside every human heart. Paul writes in Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have gone wrong. No one does good, not even one. There's a famous story of a newspaper in England uh, where they, they asked an open question in the paper looking for a response from any philosopher or theologian who might want to write back in with an answer. And the question was simply this, what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? Christian author G.K. Chesterton wrote the newspaper back with only two words, I am. I am. And that is the biblical understanding. It is. You see, our real problem in life isn't out there somewhere. It's not out there. It's not the Republicans. It's not the Democrats. It's not Donald Trump, believe it or not. Our problem isn't out there. Our problem is in here in here. It's called sin. That's its name. Sin is the desire to break away from God's rule and become our own rulers, our own gods. And human sin has cursed the entire globe. Think of the constants of human history, the constants. Domestic abuse, racism, war, genocide, and so on. Yet according to scripture, our problems don't even stop there. The planet is, itself is affected with the curse of human sin. It is in a chaotic state. And we see and feel this chaos in earthquakes and tsunamis and cancer and coronaviruses. But, but, Abraham's blessing is God's way of reversing the effects of the curse. Abraham's blessing is God's way of reversing the effects of the curse. The key word is reversing, reversing. Now think of it this way. Remember the horrific video footage we all saw in 2011 when a tsunami hit Japan. 
I want everyone in the room right now to picture that 100-foot wall of ocean water rolling over the tops of villages and consuming everything in its path. Buildings, cars, businesses, homes, children, the elderly. Just utter, unrestrained devastation. Are you picturing it? Now, imagine that Abraham's blessing is that tape played in reverse. Played in reverse. It is God undoing all of that devastation and destruction, turning it all back and not only restoring everything, but making things even better than they were before. It's a concept the Bible calls renewal. It's even better than restoration. It's renewal. Things are actually better than they were before. Now, imagine Abraham's blessing, that tape, not happening to Japan, but happening to all creation. All creation. That is Abraham's blessing. That is the promise that drives the scriptures. You see, ever since Adam and Eve sinned, God has been on a mission to bring us back to Eden. Back to paradise. Back to the place where man walked with God in the cool of the day. It's the solution to all our problems. It's the answer to all our questions. It's the antidote to all our diseases. It's the resolution to all our conflicts. Okay, that's what the blessing does. Number three, who gets the blessing? So who exactly gets to enjoy this great reversal? Does absolutely everyone get it? Since it's a blessing for the entire world? Well, no, not really. Not everyone gets it. Not everyone will get to enjoy this great reversal. Let's look at verses 7 and 9. Verse 7 Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Verse 9. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So yes, there will be people from every nation who will get to share in Abraham's blessing. But it will only be those who have joined Abraham's family. It will only be Abraham's children. Now this should kind of make sense to us, okay? All of us should understand that a person's benefits get passed down to that person's descendants. They're not randomly distributed to complete strangers, right? Well, so it is with Abraham and his blessing and his benefits. Only if you are Abraham's offspring are you going to inherit 
Abraham's blessing. So does that mean Christians are out? Christians are out and the Jews are in since they're the physical descendants of Abraham, right? Well, uh, no. Now, it wasn't natural for the Jews in Paul's day to think that way, though. It was. Most of them did. It was easy for them to assume that the only way to become part of Abraham's family was to be circumcised and become a Jew. That's what they thought. And many still think that. But what Paul explains from Scripture itself, from Scripture itself, from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures, is that God had already declared his intention to bless all nations apart from their becoming Jews. Paul shows us this isn't just a New Testament idea. This was an Old Testament idea. Again, in verse 8, Paul says, Scripture foresaw all nations being blessed. What's the scripture he's talking about? The Old Testament. Right? So in Genesis 17, God spells out the terms of his covenant with Abraham. He spells them out, lays them all out there for him. And he says in verses 4 through 5 of Genesis 17, he says this, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Not just one nation, a multitude of nations. Now, some have tried to say the word nations here is referring to the Ishmaelites and the Edomites who can trace their physical descent back to Abraham. But surely the word multitude means more than two, right? <laughs> surely, surely God has in view here the same nations that he originally promised Abram would be blessed back in Genesis 12, namely all of them. All nations of the earth, Abram, will be blessed through you. In other words, in Genesis 17, God is explaining how the nations are going to be blessed. They're going to be blessed because Abraham will become their father. And how will Abraham become their father? Let's look at Galatians 3, 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Those who have faith. Not those who are circumcised, not those who pay their tithe, not those who make it to church every week, not those who read their Bible every day. Those who have faith. Okay, but faith in what? And that brings us to our last point, what the blessing is. Verses six and eight, six and eight. 
So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 8. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Abraham was counted righteous in God's sight. Not because he was super holy or because he came to church every, every week, because he put a lot of money in the offering plate, or because he gave a lot to hurricane relief. No. Abraham was counted righteous because Abraham believed the gospel. Abraham wasn't saved just by looking up, but by looking forward to the one who was to come. Now, wait a minute. The gospel is about Jesus, and Jesus is only in the New Testament. Wrong. Wrong. Paul is saying here that everything in the Bible, Adam, Moses, Noah, Abraham, the flood, the law, the temple, the exodus, the sacrifices, everything. Everything is about Jesus and his gospel. Everything. Verse 8. Scripture, the Old Testament, right? Announced the gospel. Abraham heard it. Abraham believed it and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, this is what most Jews miss. They can't see the forest because all the trees are in the way. They miss the fact that all their scriptures are about Jesus. In Genesis, he is the word of God, creating the heavens and the earth. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb, whose blood is spilled to set the captives free. In Leviticus, he is the temple, the holy place where men meet with God. In Numbers, he is the ever-present guide, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet coming who is greater than Moses. In Joshua, he is the conquering warrior leading God's people into the promised land. In Judges, he is the broken savior. In Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer. In 1 and 2 Samuel, he is the pure-hearted shepherd king who rushes out to face the giant by himself. In 1 and 2 Kings, he is the righteous ruler. In 1 and 2 Chronicles, he is the restorer of the kingdom. In Ezra, he is the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of the ruins. In Esther, he is the advocate, risking his life to restore his people. In Job, he is the living redeemer. In Psalms, he is the one who hears the cries of his people. In Proverbs, he is wisdom personified. In Ecclesiastes, he is the meaning and purpose of life. 
In the Song of Solomon, he is the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. In Jeremiah, he is the spirit who writes God's laws on our hearts. In Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the river of life bringing healing to the nations. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, he is the ever faithful husband pursuing an unfaithful bride. In Joel, he is the restorer of all things. In Amos, he is the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is the judge of all the earth. In Jonah, he is the prophet cast out into the storm so that sinners could be brought in. In Micah, he is the everlasting ruler born to us in Bethlehem. In Nahum, he is the promise of good news and peace. In Habakkuk, he is the reason to rejoice even when the fields are empty. In Zephaniah, he is the great reformer. In Haggai, he is the cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, he is the pierced son whom every eye on earth will one day behold. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. You see, the blessing of Abraham is not a what. It's a who. It's a who. It was Abraham's direct descendant born in that stable on Christmas morning. And it was through that precious boy's birth, life, death, and resurrection that God is reversing the effects of the curse and bringing us back to Eden. The only relevant question then about Abraham's blessing is this. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe that he took the full wrath from God the Father on your behalf on the cross for your sins? And do you believe that he was raised victoriously to life three days later? If you believe that, then as J.R. Tolkien said, all the sad things in your life are becoming untrue. They're becoming untrue. C.S. Lewis echoed that sentiment when he said, Some mortals say of human suffering that no future bliss can make up for it. But they don't understand that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift, the most precious gift of all, your wondrous son. And thank you that to have this gift, 
requires nothing of us but faith. Thank you, Father. I know I couldn't earn it. I know I couldn't earn Jesus on my own merit. I know I couldn't. But thank you, Father, for making a way for me to have it anyway. To have this precious blessing of your Son for the gift of faith. We pray this evening, Father, that you would bless us with even greater faith than we have had before. For those who might be lost in the room tonight, Father, I pray that that initial saving blessing of grace and faith would hit them tonight by your Spirit. And I pray for the believer tonight, Father, that their faith in your Son would rise would rise and rise tonight and tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and the day after that that your spirit through your word and through our suffering and through our reflection on the gospel our faith would rise and rise and rise and that we would ride on the wings of eagles only through the blessing of your son. <laughs> what a blessing he is. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Stand together and